We're continuing in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We were in the middle of verse 2. In review, chapter 3 opens with Paul changing the subject. He goes from teaching on women in the gatherings to men who wanted to be public overseers, elders and pastors, shepherds. That's what it means. As we said, all mature Christians should be able to teach and instruct anyone on the Christian faith. No novice or beginner or babe should be given ministry, any kind of authority like that. Authority and responsibility comes with ministry, okay? Thus, a mature spiritual person. So he's saying he that seeks this is good. You know, if you come to the conclusion you want to do these things and you meet the qualifications, one must yet, even after all this, have God's approval, meet certain qualifications and what God considers that mature teachers should be. Yet James states, many of you should not be public teachers, is what he means, for he said, we shall have a stricter judgment by God for what they teach. So they have to be sound in doctrine or teaching, or they have no business mimicking and parroting other people. A lot of times when people become new Christians, people want them out witnessing and all of this. They don't know scripture. They don't know how to answer scripture. They have no maturity to be doing these things. They're supposed to be drinking the milk of the word and growing and learning from the spirit how to live right. They're not in a position to be teaching and instructing other people. So we see, as we go on the second part, he must be stable over his affairs. He must have a reputation among other Christians basically of being sound. He must be friendly and hospitable to the Christians that need help or traveling teachers and evangelists. But he also says he must be able to teach. So that means if he's going to seek this and he wants to be an overseer, a shepherd, a pastor, he has to know the Word of God. It's not enough that he wants to do this. A lot of people want to lead and teach, and they have no business leading and teaching. They don't know what they're teaching. They don't know how to rightly handle the Word of God, to teach false doctrine. A lot of young Christians teach foolishness, and they have no business being in that position. God judges the motive and the intent, but he's not going to let by slide on these things. I've heard people say, well, because there aren't no good men teaching, then women do it. No, they don't disobey God's word because men disobey God's word. There is no exception to these things. God sets certain principles, and they must be obeyed. And because someone doesn't do it, it doesn't mean you can just decide you want to try at it when you're not qualified. Like I say, if you're not a brain surgeon, you have no business cutting on a person's brain. And because you can't find a, a brain surgeon, you don't pull some teenager off the street and you hand him a knife and say, well, we don't have anybody else. Why don't you give it a try? Well, that's how people do with the Word of God because they don't know Christian principles they don't know what true Christianity is, is the problem. We've got two billion 
people in the world who think they're Christians, and most of them are not. They do not abide by God's word. Jesus is not the practical Lord, and they're not led of the Spirit. So they are not Christians. doesn't matter what they believe mentally. The masses, as we say many times, they're going to talk about all the good they did. When they say, Lord, Lord, that means they recognized him as being the Son of God. They recognize he died on a cross and rose again. But what does Jesus say? He said, you did not do the will of my father. You're lawless, and I never knew you. He's saying, you never were mine. You never were a Christian. That's the masses of those who claim to be Christians, but the Lord gives a different evaluation, okay? So able to teach. I've heard some people say, well, it's hard enough to get someone who's able to teach but we live in a time now when most people aren't able to learn. They don't want to hear it. They heap to themselves false and immature teachers, teachers who tickle their ear and tell them how wonderful they are and God will rubber stamp everything they do and God is their Santa Claus. They don't talk about sin, judgment, being mature in the Lord, not being selfish and worldly-minded. They don't talk about those things. They entertain, and we got people out there, like Paul said, they have itching ears. They want to teach, whether they're qualified or not, because they want to be known, and they want to make money. Uh-huh. He said they have itching ear. It means they're listening to what the people want, and you give the people what they want, they pay you. You expect to be taken care of as shepherds and teachers back then, and so that's what they were doing. They were trying to find out what's the best way I can raise a buck. As the scripture says, they will make merchandise of you. A lot of young Christians are made merchandise of by foolish people who claim to be called of God and get their money from them and get their support, but they don't represent God. They represent their greedy nature, okay? Materialistic nature, okay? Hebrews. 5, we'll look at 12 to 14, okay? For by this time you ought to be teachers. So he's saying uh, in these true fellowship, there's a, a time. They're not baby Christians when they're 15 and 20 years in the Lord. They're backsliders. Or they got the wrong gospel because it's inexcusable. A person that is following the Lord within a few years, he should be a mature Christian. He ain't talking about being able to quote the whole Bible. He's talking about being led of the Lord, understand spiritual things and the basics of Christianity and able to communicate it. That's what he's talking about, being spiritual. And your conscience able to discern uh, what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, to be led of the Spirit. So he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But some one needs to teach you again the first principles of God, for you have come to need milk and not solid meat. See, knowledge alone doesn't make a person spiritual, intellect alone. So people start off as babes and they mature, and then many of them backslide and become foolish, and they stop their seeking of the Lord. Oh, they still retain certain knowledge. But he's saying you need to go back and drink the milk of the word. And the milk of the word really covers basically, too, that Jesus is Lord and he must be obeyed. 
and the Spirit leads those who are His. And if you don't understand those two things, you'll never know what it means to follow the Lord or be a Christian. But many people have been in the institutional churches, denominational churches, 20, 30 years. And I've heard people say, well, they're babes. They're not babes. They got the wrong gospel. Because uh -huh. anybody that's got a fifth grade education or less and has a Bible can be spiritual without no one if they have to be. They don't choose that, but the Spirit will help them in the situation they're on. They're in prison. They're in an area where there's no fellowship or no true fellowship. The Lord will guide them. They're without excuse. The Spirit speaks to babes and instructs their conscience, and they can be told not to do something and not understand fully why, but they learn to be led of the Spirit, and that matures them. Uh -huh. And babes are not at that level. Oh, he can quote scripture and he can put it in its proper order and things like that. But to be led of the Spirit is a different thing, okay? And babes are not at that level. They need to get mature before they're useful for any kind of Christian ministry, okay? For everyone who partakes of the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He didn't say he's carnal or something's wrong with him. He's a beginner. But solid food belongs to those who of a full age and those who by reason of their use, their senses, exercise, they're able to discern between good and evil. It means they're being able to be following the spirit and recognize a false spirit. A lot of beginners don't know the difference. And that's why even in the spiritual gatherings, when someone came under inspiration to prophesy, they were mainly the ones with the prophetic ministry. Others sit by and judged it because they could slip and say something and it needed to be corrected because the devil is a master at deception. He's a master at imitation and lying. He comes as an angel of light. He appears to be good. He doesn't come around saying, I'm the bad devil. His main weapon is lies and deception, because it works. And then the main elementary things that even babes should learn before their conscience is mature real well was the next chapter, the principles, the elementary foundation of Christianity, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, a baptism, Eternal judgment. Well, I've known people in the church after 30 and 40 years, and they teach, and they don't believe in hell. I say, you have no business ever teaching anything because you're a false teacher. You don't pick and choose what you want to teach. You're not able because you're foolish. Well, I just don't believe. I mean, it don't matter what you believe. What does God's word say? And what's the spirit of God's word is what is important. So until a person learns to discern between good and evil, and that doesn't come by just reading scripture uh, or mentally accepting something. There's many situations that you can go either way. And to be guided by the spirit or deceived by a demon is very possible for any Christian. He's at warfare. He has to deal with these things. And only the Holy Spirit can teach that individual 
uh, how to mature. He's not matured by studying the Bible alone. He can quote the Bible back and forth. It does not make him spiritually mature. So most people come out of these seminaries and, and they're no more spiritual than when they went in. That don't prove anything. Uh -huh. They're not led of the Lord. Most of them are living their own life and want to do as they please. They don't understand taking up the cross daily and following the Lord. They're caught up in materialism, prosperity, uh, bless me gospel, uh, everything else. It shows you they're not mature. They don't even know the basics of God's word. So they're in no position to be teaching anybody else. Okay, So we see then, and we're back in the second part of verse 2, the husband of one wife, we talked about that, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, okay, not addicted to wine, not argumentative, but a gentle, peaceful person, free from the love of money. Well, that excludes a lot of professing Christians and teachers today. So he has to have sort of a basic a good reputation among other Christians. He must be friendly and nice, not a person that stirs up trouble. He's supposed to help those. Back then, they had more traveling teachers and evangelists and Christians that were fleeing persecution. And so the local gatherings and the deacons and stuff had to try to provide for them and find things to keep them until they got to wherever they were going or whether they were going to stay or not. So this is what he wants. Number three, not given to wine. It did not say never drinking wine. A lot of Baptists and Pentecostals get caught up in that, and they teach it as scripture. There is no such a doctrine in the Word of God. The doctrine is if you get drunk, you're a gross sinner. That's what your problem is. Okay. Even some ministers and teachers in their seminaries are so foolish as to say that those words meant grape juice. They twist the word to make it say, and that gives them a bad reputation when they have good sound teaching and they like to live holy, but you don't alter the word of God because a few people fall. All things are good in themselves. Wine was permissible. Drunkenness was not. And people used to tell me, because I had been around those people, well, if you never drank, you would never get drunk. I said, that's wonderful. And if when your babies are born, if you have the uh, girls and boys sexually altered with no sex organs, they'll never commit fornication. But that's not God's way to do. And if people are lusting after their eyes, why don't we just put their eyes out? We'll solve that problem. See, Scripture, as you overcome you use things, you don't abuse them. You can use things in their proper order. All things are pure in themselves. Transgression is when you go beyond what God permits or his word, then it's a sin. So there are legitimate things that God says is good. But when you take them out of moderation or you misuse them a way that God did not intend, then you've entered sin. Okay. So people need to know that. So it never said, don't ever drink wine. Scripture says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so he's telling you, look for your spiritual play. Don't depend on being high on a liquor to feel good all the time. That's an earthly 
thing. And again, if you get into a buzz and a drunk, you're in a drunk state. And what does the scripture say? No drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't show restraint. You're already in a bad situation, okay? Christian is supposed to use the help of the Spirit to overcome and resist these temptations or to use things within moderation and not let them use them. We use the world. We live in a world where we have to have money to do business, to live, to buy. So there's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money is a root of all evil. Didn't say it's the root. A lot of people say it's the root. No, it says it's a root. Nothing wrong with money. You use money to help people, to be hospitable, to give, to meet needs of Christians and the church and so forth. Uh huh. But if you misuse it, and if you're using it for greed and covetousness and to use uh, in sinful pleasures and so forth, then you're going to be damned to hell one day. So it's how you use things. All things are pure in themselves. Okay, Objects are not good or evil. It's what people do with them that make them good or evil. Okay. So wine could not be drunk in excess. They don't like that scripture. But Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake and his often infirmities. Somehow he figured out, the Lord told him, drink wine, it would kill some of those bugs and viruses that made people sick from drinking bad water. So it was common. So he said, do it for your stomach's sake. He was saying, as a, he didn't say get drunk off of it for centuries, 18th, 17th, all of Europe, adults and children mainly drank wine rather than water because the water killed a lot of people. They understood. They thought certain water was bad, thought all water was bad because they were drinking water that came from the river where everything was being dumped and the wells weren't deep enough to filter it. So they drank a mixture of uh, like a pot of wine with three or four parts of water. That was regular. People rarely drank water by itself because they began to see that it, something was happening to some people and they picked out it was something wrong with the water. So, But it didn't tell them to get drunk or get your kids drunk. So again, it was moderation and common sense, okay? So a person that wants to be this overseer, this shepherd, okay, he must not be a violent person or loves to debate, to argue. It's one thing to debate and discuss scripture and even disagree, but you don't get into railing is the word. No railer will enter the kingdom of heaven. People say, well, that's, it's an old word, yeah, but it means you love stirring up trouble and being angry if your opinion's not held and people don't like to talk to you because they can't win an argument. No matter what you say, they get mad. That's a railer. They're angry. Well, a Christian should be able to discuss something sensibly, and if he disagrees. Now, even Paul, when he talked about not allowing the women to teach in the public gatherings, then he said something, and he was an apostle. He said, and if no one recognizes this, he said one translation, if they want to be ignorant, let them be ignorant. And Paul said, if they don't recognize what I'm telling you, don't recognize them. See, because I'm giving you sound scripture. 
I'm not giving you people's opinion here. So that's what we have to see. There are times the scripture gives wisdom and gives choices at various times. There's other times it's black and white, cannot be altered. Okay. So he is a person that is not easily provoked. How you discuss things with people, and if if they don't convince you, they get irritated, mad. Well, they don't have no business being a shepherd. They have to discuss things, and they're going to have to correct people and take correction when it's needed and consider these things and not be agitated because someone challenged them. Like I say, the prophets spoke two or three in the gatherings, gifted prophets, and the other prophets judged them, evaluated what they were saying. And at times they had to be corrected. Or how could they judge? How could they evaluate? There was be no purpose for them. Okay. So if shepherds start teaching something, uh, something out of order, it's other shepherds and elders' job and mature Christians to go to them and talk to them. But if it's something a matter of them doing something sinful or a clear false doctrine, you don't do it alone. You take another two or three other mature Christians and you talk to them. Bring not an accusation on just one person. And then it says, if he's found to be in sin, uh, rebuke him before everybody that he'll learn not to sin. It didn't say cover it up and hide it because he's a shepherd. It said expose it, embarrass him in front of everybody because that has a way of teaching people. When they're humiliated openly, they try to be careful not to repeat that again. It helps in keeping them in order. So it says rebuke before everyone that they'll learn not to sin. So. It's the same as, that's a form of chastening. So when you have to use the paddle on a child, it's painful, but it's a chastening. And because you talk to them and say, don't do that, you think that's going to affect them. But when you paddle them behind, they remember the pain, and eventually they understand why they can't do this. At first, it's because I'll get spanked. But later on, they understand why they get spanked and why it's not approved of. So that's the, how we discipline people at various levels, okay? So a shepherd or pastor is not to be a covetous person, to have a love for money. Uh, so that does away with most of the faith and prosperity teachers. Their whole life is geared to faith to gain things, materialistic. They basically claim Old Testament scriptures, which under the covenant were only for certain covenant people. You don't find that in the New. See, when you had Christ in you, you're supposed to be content. You're not supposed to be tied to this realm. So the love of materialism and money, it's called covetousness, greed. And Paul said, as I've said many times, you know that covetousness is idolatry, the love of money, the taking money over God like the rich young ruler did. He did a lot of good things, but he couldn't give up this desire to have things, a lot of money. And so we're seeing that's what we have to deal with. People do not become covetous. It's a sin. Paul said covetousness is idolatry, and then he makes it plain. And you know, the word know this, that no idolatry has eternal life. So that sort of smacks some of them in the face. 
But they'll go around and excuse it, and God doesn't care. If I, well, I think God has a problem if a person has five homes and seven cars and four airplanes. What is wrong with him? Why is he so bound to this world? I mean, the scripture speaks more. The apostles taught more. Be content with what you have. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. How come you never hear this among the prosperity people? Because they're not spiritual. They're tied to the world, materialism, the love of things. Instead of using things in moderation, they are excessive. They live in self-indulgence and luxury and pamper themselves. That's what he's talking about. So there's going to be a lot of people that think they're going to go when the Lord comes, and they're going to be surprised because they are self-deceived, and they're not open to correction because they want to believe that. So you're wasting your time with them. Same as you're wasting your time with those Christians that once saved, always saved. No matter what they do, well, at least I'm saved. It's all grace. You've got a lying spirit is what you have. You don't know nothing about scripture. Uh But that's the masses. The two main groups that are going to deceive most Christians, especially in America, and I've seen it for years, it's going to be once saved, always saved, this false doctrine and this prosperity doctrine. God wants you to be rich and healthy and you're a king's kid and they don't ever mention self-denial, sacrifice, being persecuted. He said through much tribulation, Paul said, we'll enter the kingdom. He didn't say through much prosperity. We're living under probation. We have to prove our loyalty in this world or you're not going to make it to the next world. It's the call, the chosen, and the faithful. Uh A lot of people like the called and the chosen. Well, everybody is called to some degree, even by their conscience. God gives grace. Every man is responsible at the level he is. Uh He will not be excused. Uh So if you are called and you respond to the call of faith and repentance and confessing the Lord and living for him, then you're a chosen son of God. You're the chosen elect. You're elected to get in with God. Like the two-thirds of the angels that did not fall, they're called the elect angels. They weren't elected to be holy. They were already holy. They elected to stay with the Lord. Uh-huh. So we see, but the last one, nobody quotes much. It's the call, the chosen, and the faithful. That's who's coming with him. So if you're not loyal and faithful to Christ and the Spirit, you're not going to make it. Don't matter what doctrines you know, don't matter what scripture and church and whatever else you believe, doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. Like I've said before, I've known teacher a few of them, that taught, and uh, this was 30, 40 years ago, and they knew a lot more, than, and they taught spiritual things, and I learned from them, from what I'd heard. And everybody liked their teaching and recommended them. Then we find out the person tells me in counsel that he's having an affair for three years. And I told him, you're not a Christian, and it shocked him. I said, you ought to know better. Paul says, if you live this way, and he named adultery and fornication. He says, you're not in the kingdom of heaven. But see, he can still teach because he was gifted and he could communicate. As Jesus told uh, his own disciples at time, 
He said, obey them, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they're teaching the law. He said, for they sit in Moses' seat, but don't act like they do. Don't live like them because they're greedy and covetous and they're liars. That's what they were. But he said, when they teach the law, remember that, what they're teaching. And so this guy teach real good teaching. It could be used today. And I don't know if he ever got right with the Lord or not, but he'd been teaching for 10 or 15 years. And Harry tells me uh, he lived in adultery for three years. Well, that just sort of took me back. I said, well, I don't know what you know or what you've had and how many times you've seen the Lord, but if you die now, you're going to hell. And God has no reason to protect you. You're not in the covenant anymore. And he's not very pleased with what you're doing. So James says he that offends at one point of the law is guilty of all. So if you do one of these gross sins and you stay in it, and Paul names a couple of times, 15, 16, 17, and he tells you right out, if you practice these things, if you make a habit of it, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't ask when you were born again or if Jesus appeared to you last year. It's irrelevant. It's how are you living with him today? Are you still following the Lord? It's not did you follow. It's not were you baptized. All I do is got you wet if you're not going to stay with the Lord. Confessing Jesus as Lord doesn't get you anywhere. Masses of the... Christianity are saying, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, I never knew them. They're never mine. But they mentally acknowledge these things. So we got to get back to the word of God. So he cannot be a shepherd. Well, even a Christian cannot be. But he's saying in this context, you got to be more narrow and not have a hint of covetousness. We can usually recognize it. But a lot of people don't recognize it because they've been taught that God wants them to prosper and have everything, see? But he's not talking about physical prosperity. He's talking about spiritual prosperity. Under the Old Testament, he gave them prosperity to the patriarchs and stuff because uh, they had no Christ spirit in them. He dealt with them more at an earthly level. He winked at a lot of things they did because Christ was not indwelling them. In the New Testament, Christ indwells the person. And you know what replaces prosperity of the Old Testament? Tribulation in the New. God sifts his, matures his, and that only comes by trouble. Through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom. He tells them not immediately. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of all. Because if you're living for the Lord, the devil don't like it, and he stirs up trouble. If everything's going well with you all the time, you need to check out your Christianity. Why isn't he bothering you? You must be one of his favorite pets, okay? So covetousness and a love for money. And you know, you can talk to people and immediately you can see where their heart lies. They want a bigger home, a bigger boats, more cars. You think, you know. They talk about godly things for five minutes, and then they spend the next hour talking about all these things they want to get because they're covetous and they're materialistic. See, the Christian can use the world in moderation, but the world's not to use him. 
he's a follower of the world. As John said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If the love of the Father is not in you, Christ is not in you. So we need to go back and watch out. The lust of the flesh, the eyes, wanting everything you see, it's never satisfied. And people twist scripture to make it say things it doesn't say. And they excuse themselves. But God's not going to. Okay? So it's idolatry, we said, and Paul makes it plain. No idolatry has any eternal life, will not make it into the kingdom of God, no more than a murderer will, okay? Okay. Verse 4, the overseer, the shepherd, the pastor, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Okay. His family life must be in order. Now, if his wife don't want to obey him, he can put her away. He can tell her, go home to the father. Or he can ignore her if she's going to be wicked. But he maintains his principle. He rules the home. He's responsible to God. He cannot shirk his responsibility. Many women will tell you, my husband lets me do these things. I said, well, he shirked his responsibility because the scripture don't let you do these things. So just because your husband says you can teach, don't mean God's going to prove it. He does not like women ruling over men, especially in the home or the church. You'll see it. Okay. So he keeps his children under control. He doesn't have a bunch of rebellious, disobedient teenagers and those living with him. If they get old enough in their later teens and they are still rebellious, he has the option to put them out of the house. He said, well, if you want to live this way, you're free. You're an adult. I have no responsibility for you. But those that are children, they are to be disciplined and trained and made to mind. Okay? Number five, verse five. And he explains this. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? How's he going to manage other problems in the church? How's he going to manage people who come into the church that uh, aren't married, who are uh, destitute, who have no authority, no, and they have to instruct them and help them? How can he do that if he can't rule his own home? The people look at him and say, you're a hypocrite. What's wrong with you? It's sort of common sense. So if he can't not do this and he can't manage these things, he's not to be an overseer. He's not to be a pastor. And I've known in the past, pastors, shepherds, and they have unruly children. and They're, they're spoiled. And I sit there and think he has no business being a shepherd because he's failed already. Uh-huh. He's failed already. So knowing the word and going to seminary doesn't prove nothing. It's not acceptable to God unless he's sound and obeying scripture. Verse 6, and a shepherd, a pastor, a teaching elder, he cannot be a new convert, so he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Okay, what is talking about here? If he's seeking to be a shepherd, an overseer, he cannot be a new convert, a babe, or a novice because they don't know Scripture. They don't know how to be led of the Spirit. They're not able to discern between good and evil. And a shepherd has to instruct people 
has to correct people, have to set them on the right road. He has to know scripture and be able to tell people what they're doing wrong and how to get out of it. A novice cannot do this, okay? Smartness in the world is not spiritual maturity. Converts and babes must learn the principles of God's word and be able to follow the spirit. New believers, they have to learn the word. They have a hard time following orders. They have to learn how the spirit deals with their conscience and how the spirit deals with them. But their basic foundation is to learn the word of God first, the principles of the New Testament, and then the Holy Spirit can use them. He told the disciples, after he taught them all the parables and everything, he said, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. I've given you a lot of these things, but he told them what? He said, many things you cannot bear. Many things are hard for you. But when the Spirit comes, he'll reveal them. Well, up until Jesus died, the Jewish disciples they believed that Israel was going to be chief among the nations and God, the Messiah, eventually was going to come back and overthrow the Romans and they would be the kings of the world again. Well, it was going to be two or 3,000 years later, most likely. She didn't answer that. They didn't understand that God was basically going to go to the Gentile and he was going to disregard most of the Jews and their teachings and ritual. They didn't understand that. That's what the Jewish Christians and disciples, they preached the gospel the first six years or so only to Jews. They didn't go out and preach to Gentiles. They didn't really have a real concept that God was going to save the Gentiles. And they would have had a hard time under the law accepting certain things because the time wasn't right. Uh But once the Spirit came, You don't ever hear of any of the apostles asking the Lord, when will we restore Israel? Because they would be long dead when it was restored. And it still hasn't been completely restored. Let's take a break here.